Good morning, Seven Mile Road. One of my prayers for our church during this time has come from Romans 15, 13. Paul prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So let's pray right now and ask God to fill us with joy and peace and hope as we anchor ourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ through his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God of all hope. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as, as we believe in the gospel this morning, that by your power, we would abound in hope. God, I pray that you would open our minds to see the glories of the scripture before us today and that it would be our anchor of hope as we, uh, as we seek to live lives of faithfulness to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. On April 13th, 1970, the Apollo 13 mission approached the moon. And as it so happens, an oxygen tank exploded, ushering those famous words, Houston, we've had a problem. See, in an instant, the objective changed from a moon landing to a safe return back to Earth. They had to overcome fierce odds against them. They had to figure out how to repurpose equipment on the spacecraft to filter out the CO2 in the air. They had to navigate with little fuel and instrumentation. They had to re-enter into the Earth's atmosphere in the lunar module without a heat shield. The margin of error was slim, time was running out, and through the courage of the astronauts and the ingenuity of the scientists at Mission Control, all three astronauts safely returned home. And that word home was the word that Jim Lavelle, the commander of the Apollo 13 mission, used to describe the hope of the astronauts as they changed their mission from a moon landing to a safe return home. Now that question, how do we get home? That's the big question, the ultimate question that everyone has to answer. How do we get home? In today's passage, Paul is looking forward to the goal of redemption, the hope of a future home. Paul offers a roadmap for the believer to get home. First, he says, we need to leave our past behind. Second, he says, we press on today. And finally, we strive forward to what lies ahead. So we leave the past behind, we press on today, and we strive forward to what lies ahead. Let's unpack this text together. Look at me at chapter three, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now let's stop right there. Paul is sitting in a Roman prison and he's reflecting on his life, his past, his present, and his future. And as he looked back, he concludes, I have not obtained the perfection that comes from knowing Christ. I have not received the fullness of the resurrection. I have not received my inheritance. In other words, I haven't been glorified yet. See, Paul is looking forward to the believer's glorification that comes when God's work of redemption is finally complete. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you've realized we've, we've talked about uh, the, the, the overarching concept of redemption. We, we talked about justification and sanctification, and now we're going to be talking about glorification. And by way of reminder, redemption begins with justification. So on the basis of God's mercy and grace, through the means of faith, we are declared righteous 
because the righteousness of Jesus is credited to us. It's given to us. Then redemption continues through sanctification. This is the day-by-day, the month-by-month, the year-over-year process over our lifetime where we put sin to death and we cultivate a life of righteousness. And then at the end comes redemption. At the end of redemption is glorification. This is where we enter into the fullness of ever-increasing joy in the presence of God. Now, this is when every last aspect of the curse of sin has been removed and restored. And we're going to talk about more of that in just a moment. But for now, Paul says, in order to get there, in order to get to the end of redemption, in order to get to glorification, in order to be faithful to the end, we need to leave the past behind. Now, it's important to understand not only what he means by that, but also what he doesn't mean by leaving the past behind. When Paul encourages us to forget what lies behind, he's not talking about living in such a way like the past never happened. This is not like deleting a hard drive and all of those files just go away. He's saying, don't let your past determine or control your future. Our focus should be on striving forward, not on always looking back. Now, that doesn't mean we never look back, but it does mean that our primary focus should be pressing on, moving forward with a healthy perspective on our past. But often when we're looking back at our past, we're doing so out of fear, guilt, and shame. And when that happens, it takes over and it clouds our view of the past. We become haunted by the reality that's what, that what's done, it's done. And I don't know about you, but when you were playing um, pickup ball as a kid, if there was a play that went bad and nobody could figure out exactly what happened, what would you do? There'd be a redo. It was like the play never happened. But we can't actually do that in our real everyday lives. What's done is done. And nobody has ever made the right decision every time. Everybody's had a conversation that they'd like to do over. Everybody's done something out of anger or jealousy that they'd like to take back. Everyone has a wound or scar from their past that they wish never happened. No one's life is free of regret or remorse. So how is it that Paul can tell us to leave the past behind? Well, it's because he says Christ Jesus has made him his own. Now, I've read the book of Philippians many times as a Christian over the last 22 years, but the Spirit this week made that phrase come alive to me in a fresh and new way. How can Paul overcome the fear and guilt and shame of his past? How can we overcome uh, the, the fear and guilt and shame of our past? How can Paul tell us to stand firm and resolute to press on for the glories that await us? Because Christ Jesus has made him his own. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to make you his own. We are the people of his own possession. We are loved by God, and Jesus is not ashamed to call us his bride. In fact, he's proud and delighted to call us his own. Paul David Tripp writes it like this. That's why all of us, should daily celebrate the grace that comes, the, the grace that frees us from the regret of the past. This freedom is not the freedom of retraction or denial. It's, the, it's not the freedom of rewriting our history. 
No, it's the freedom of forgiving and transforming grace. This grace welcomes me to live with the hope in the present because it frees me to leave my past behind. All of what I look back on and would like to redo has been fully covered by the blood of Jesus. I no longer need to carry the burden of the past on my shoulders, so I'm free to fully give myself to what God has called me to in the here and now. Because Jesus has made us his own, we don't have to fear the past and pretend like it never happened. Because Jesus has made us his own, we don't have to be paralyzed by our past. We don't have to be stuck reliving the past and replaying our every decision with endless what ifs. Because Jesus has made us his own, our motivation for today is not about correcting our past, but living in the here and now for his glory and our good. Believer, never forget the truth of Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. And you who were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your record of the past has been canceled by the cross of Jesus Christ. So yes, let's look back and learn the lessons our past has to teach us. There's gold in our past to learn from. Let's build on our victories and work on our weaknesses. Let's be willing to address the wounds from our past so that we can heal and move on. But let's do it all knowing that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God redeems us from our past. Every look back should be done through the lens of grace, not guilt. Love, not fear. Acceptance, not shame. Redemption is not found in rewriting our history, but in looking forward to the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. As we make our way home, this step is to leave our past behind. Second, Paul says we press on today. Look back at verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Two times in two verses, Paul says, I press on. Now, Paul talks about the day-to-day reality of pressing on toward the goal. He has a fierce determination to be faithful to the end. He says, I press on toward the goal. The Greek word for goal here is the same word that's often used for a finish line or an archery target. Just like a runner runs for the finish line and an archer aims for the target, our lives should be pointed at a goal. Paul is saying, I am single-minded as I run the race of life. I am pressing on towards the prize. I like how the NIV translates this verse. It says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, there is a heavenly prize awaiting us at the finish line of redemption, and God is calling us to run forward to that finish line. In other words, Paul doesn't get paralyzed by his past, but he strains forward to what lies ahead as he presses on toward that heavenly prize that awaits him. So what is that prize? 
Now, Paul will go into some of the details of the glories of that prize to come in verses 20 uh, to 21. But for now, Paul leaves that prize undescribed. And we know from Scripture that we will one day be freed from the very hint and stain of sin. That's part of the prize that's to come. We'll hear the words of affirmation from Jesus himself where he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The Bible tells us we're going to receive a crown of righteousness and an unfading crown of glory. We're going to see Jesus face to face and we'll be made like him. And we will experience the ever increasing joy of the unhindered presence of Jesus himself. And if that weren't enough, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, the prize is worth it. It's worth the straining for it. It's worth the pressing on. You can't even imagine this prize. It's worth giving everything you've got. Now remember, Paul said earlier, I haven't obtained that goal yet. Paul is humble. He says, I have not arrived. He's looking forward and he's looking forward to the day when he gets to see Jesus face to face. He hasn't mailed it in. He hasn't said, listen, I've done such a good job. I can kind of coast these last few years. Paul doesn't stand on his past triumphs. He doesn't stand on his past church planting record. Instead, he presses on for the glories to come. Think of the two ways Paul describes his commitment, his effort and his determination. He uses these words, straining forward and pressing on. It's a straining forward and a pressing on. It it reminds me of how Pastor Kevin DeYoung describes how we're supposed to live with a spirit-powered, gospel-driven, faith-filled effort. He writes this, Some Christians are stalled out in their sanctification for a simple lack of effort. They need to know about the Spirit's power. They need to be rooted in gospel grace. They need to believe in the promises of God. And they need to fight, strive, and make every effort to work out all that God is working in them. Let us say with Paul, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Friends, pressing on, Straining forward requires a spirit-empowered, gospel-driven, and yes, a faith-filled effort. It requires an effort on our part. Now Paul offers some wisdom and exhortation to help us as we strive forward and press on. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now stop right there. Paul says this mentality, this idea of straining on and pressing forward, this perspective is not just for super apostles or the elite. This is not for some subset of the church. This mentality is for every single believer. He says, All of us, as we grow into maturity, should think this way. And if anyone thinks differently, if anyone thinks he or she does not need to have this forward-thinking, steadfast resolve for the prize to come, then he says, in time, as the Spirit is growing you into maturity, God will reveal that to you as well. Remember, our maturity, our growth in Christ, 
is progressive. No matter where you are in your maturity, Paul says, only what you need to think about is holding true to what you have attained. In other words, he's saying, act your spiritual age. I don't expect my two-year-old to have the patience of a 10-year-old. I don't expect my 10-year-old, now 11-year-old, to have the wisdom of a 40-year-old. But I do expect my kids to act in accordance with their age. And I hold them to that, like any good, loving father would do. God, our Father, holds us to our spiritual age. Likewise, Paul is saying, if you're a brand new Christian, don't expect to live like a Christian who's been walking with Jesus for 15 years. And yet, no matter where we are in our walk, we are called and expected to live in congruence with our maturity. So take a moment and ask yourself, am I acting my spiritual age? Am I growing into maturity? If you were to look at your spiritual life, do you see an increase in maturity? Do you see an increase in devotion to Christ? Do you see an increase in victory over sin? Again, not perfection, but progression. Do you see progress? Now, this needs to be measured not over minutes and hours, but over months and years to take a step back and really look at, am I growing in maturity? It's an important question for us to ask. And then in verses 17 to 19, he offers the advice of everyday discipleship to help us grow in that spiritual maturity. Look with me in verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul says we can't help but resemble and become like those we look up to. Everybody looks up to somebody. Everyone is looking at others for an example of what it looks like to live and be faithful. So for better or worse, we will be influenced by those we spend time with and those we look to for advice. The question isn't, will you be influenced? The question is, who will influence you? Our desires, our habits, our paths will resemble those we look up to. So Paul says, don't imitate or look to those who are enemies of the cross. Their paths lead to destruction. Their God is their belly, which means they are driven by the desires and passions of the flesh. They're captivated by the pleasures and the things of this world because their minds are set on earthly things. If this earth is all there is, then it makes complete sense to gather up all you can and to focus on earthly things. But believers should have their minds set on the things of God, the heavenly things, this heavenly prize that awaits us. So Paul says, look around in the community of faith around you. Look to your spiritual fathers and mothers. Look to more mature brothers and sisters in Christ and learn from their example. This is the second time in this short letter that he's offered Christian community as a normal pathway to maturity. It should be the regular 
normative practice for mature believers to help younger brothers and sisters in the faith grow to maturity. And at the same time, it should be the regular normative practice for new or immature believers to seek out older, more mature believers to grow in faith. This is why Christian community is so central and so critical to discipleship. It becomes the context where we grow and thrive and mature. Just like a child grows healthy and mature in the context of a loving family, so a Christian grows and thrives into maturity in the context of a loving Christian community and family. Friends, discipleship is not optional for the believer. Growth in maturity is not optional for the believer. It's not merely a best practice. It is what it means to press on and strain forward. It is the growth. It's how we hold true and press on so that we're faithful to the end. And that's the goal, to get to the end of redemption. So as we look on how to get home, we first forget what lies behind. We don't become paralyzed or stuck on our past. And we press on today, holding true to all that we have attained. And finally, we look forward to that day. Look at me at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul now reveals what awaits all believers at the finish line, at the culmination, at the end of redemption. And Paul first says, our true home, our citizenship, our true destiny is in heaven. I know it can feel like this is our home, but the biblical reality is that we are sojourners right now. We're like traveling in a foreign country and we shouldn't um, uh, 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 set up an established place to live. We should live out of our suitcases, so to speak. We are looking forward to going home to that place that Jesus has prepared for us. And when that time comes, at the end of redemption, our Savior King, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come back again and He will transform our earthly bodies to be like His glorious body by that same omnipotent power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Now, at this point in his letter, Paul is looking at a very specific time in redemption. He is looking at the return of Christ where all of redemptive history comes to an end. This is that moment in time when we obtain our resurrection from the dead. Everybody who dies before that time in Christ will be absent in the body, but present with the Lord in heaven. There will be a, a, a consciousness and enjoyment of the presence of God. Our souls go to be with Christ in heaven and our bodies are sowed and buried into the ground. And all believers await this day, this return of Jesus Christ. And when he does return, and friends, he will return. Our lowly bodies, these earthly bodies, will be transformed to be like his glorious resurrected body. Remember, Christ is the first fruits, the, the first resurrection, a picture and a pattern of our future 
resurrection. And when that happens, our souls are reunited with our new imperishable glorious bodies. That's what makes the resurrection so glorious. That's what makes it the prize and the the finish line at the end because it joins back together what was never meant to be separated. I don't have time to go through 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, but I would encourage you, spend some time there this week. It's, It's Paul's masterful treatise as he carefully unpacks the doctrine of the resurrection. It's an important doctrine for us to not only know and believe and get settled, but in this season of suffering and trial, eschatology, the things that come at the end, the resurrection of our glorious bodies is an important doctrine to hold out that ultimate hope for us. Right now, I want you to see that even though he's sitting in a Roman prison cell, likely facing death, Paul's gaze is firmly fixed on future grace, the grace that is to come. Paul has already received buckets and buckets of grace, forgiveness of sin so that he can have peace from his past. He's received the grace of God energizing him to grow right now into maturity. He has the grace of Christian community so that brothers and sisters in Christ are encouraging him and serving with him. And yet Paul knows those are merely buckets of grace. There is awaiting all of us an ocean of grace to come when we receive the full benefits of our heavenly citizenship. Family, there is coming a day when all the sad things around us will come untrue. When we meet Jesus face to face with our new glorious resurrected bodies to be able to see and hear and experience like we've never had before where every hindrance of sin will be removed and we will experience the ever-increasing joy of life in the unhindered and unending presence of Jesus. And Paul is saying that future grace has sustaining power for today. Even though it's future, even though it's coming at a point down the road, we can actually start to benefit from that grace today. When we long for that future grace, it anchors us and it sustains us to get home. So no matter how dim today looks, believers look forward to our super bright future. Friends, God's grace gives us peace to move on from our past, to press on today and to strive towards the finish line. And that's how we get home. So let's run our race. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have prepared for us a home, that there is future grace awaiting us. It would be enough just to revel in the present grace we've received. And yet we know these are just glimpses of the future grace to come. So Father, help us to leave our past behind. Father, where any of us are struggling with things from our past, being crippled by remorse and regret, God, I pray that we would really believe the gospel that you've redeemed us from our past. And God, would you also give us the sustaining, growing energy to be faithful today, to press on and to strive forward when we're exhausted and we feel like giving up. 
And God, will we keep our eyes fixed on the heavenly prize to come, where you are calling us forward to receive our true citizenship, the hope of redemption, the resurrection of the saints and the life everlasting. God, would that be, would that future grace sustain us and anchor us in today? We love you. We trust you. Hear our prayer and answer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.